One guy's a three-time Pro Bowler, the other's a three-time Wisconsin Sports Writer of the Year, and together, they're just two guys talking pack. This is the Coon Podcast with Jason Wildey and John Coon. It is the Coon Podcast episode Three, three. Do we keep counting as we? I mean, That's a great question. When, when, when do we officially stop? You know counting? what it's like. It's like the Star Wars films. I mean, it's not quite like the Star Wars films, but yeah, I mean, it, we could go back and do fun. a prequel. We could pretend like it was when you were still playing, <laughs> yeah. and I was covering you, and you wouldn't talk to me. Um, that would be a fun show. Are you? A, are you a Star Wars guy? Yeah, I like Star. I mean, I can't. I'm not a fanatic. I cannot tell you every detail of the series but i i've watched every movie there ha- there has been you've seen every one every single one so the savvy folks at disney had the trailer for the new star wars movie it was going to run at some point during monday night football which from a mar- i don't know how we need to market this podcast so it's if more, we can get more it popular. at halftime of monday night football well we that might, would be we might get somebody clutch. to listen but i think there's a lot of people listening as far as you know um but the so they have a crappy monday night football game but everybody watched at least till halftime waiting for the trailer and it got me wondering if where you stood on that because i have never seen any of the Star Wars movies, not one. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not dressing up like a stormtrooper. Okay. The the night before the release and standing in a line to watch it. Okay. And I do <laughs> it's good know, to know where you draw the line. And I do know what Star Wars is, so I'm somewhere in between the middle of those two things, and that's that's how I feel about Star Wars. So I, you'll see the next. You'll see this one when it comes out. You'll go to the movie theater. No, I won't go to the movie. I haven't been to the movie theater in forever. Once I started having kids. At, Probably I'm with you on that. that. It, it just squashed the whole movie theater thing altogether. I haven't been, and I love the movie theater. Like, don't you love? I do. Me to me, I'll skip dinner to go to the movies because I'll, I'll get popcorn. popcorn for dinner. I will do popcorn and I'll do like the pretzels and with the nacho cheese. And then when I run out of pretzels, I'll dip the popcorn in the nacho cheese. Ooh. And then I'll go get another. I'll, I always do the free refills of popcorn, even if I don't eat it at the movie theater. I'll just grab it to take home with me. Sure. And then as the week goes on, it becomes a little more stale and it becomes kind of chewy. Well, it doesn't make it a week. Which I kind of like it. It gets eaten that night. Okay. Oh. I don't saran saran wrap the top and eat the popcorn three days later. I mean, I'm gluttonous, but I'm not that bad. I I will at least eat it the same day. So basically what we have just confirmed on the John Kuhn podcast is you and I eat roughly the same. You're just a former world-class athlete and I'm not. Yeah. What's wrong with that? <laughs> when you come to my house with Dunkin' Donuts, now I know why. Yeah, football players need to eat too. And we need to. We, uh, there's something about it. it. I always firmly believe this: that the guys whose diet was so strict, I always felt like they had a. They always had something wrong with them. But if you have that little layer of chub on you, that little layer of fat, that's that's your na- that's your body's natural defense mechanism. That saves you from a lot of injuries. Well, it it you it, might run a five flat forty, but you're okay. <laughs> you don't get hurt. He's always available. You got pros and cons. So uh, it, the eating habits of one Devonte Adams did not protect him from his toe injury. But uh, we're recording this on Thursday, and we spent some time at his locker, and he was eating Skittles. Throughout the first portion See, of the interview, he got the memo. He realized he's like, if I'm ever going to get healthy here, I need to I need to put a little layer on. Got to put a layer on this foot. So so fatten when, my foot up. 
So you guys, toward the end of your career, I think it overlapped with Adam Corzin, who is here as the Absolutely. dietary yeah. expert, the nutrition expert. Um, did you see a big change in terms of how your teammates and you ate? Because I'll never forget this. After he had arrived, I did a story where all the defensive linemen would send the young defensive linemen over to the Kentucky Fried Chicken mm-hmm. on Oneida Street and bring back a bunch of buckets and sit in the in the locker room and eat it. And it was this great like bonding thing. And like other guys from other positions would come over. Oh yeah. And then it Can got back to then it got back to the bosses, and that was the end of but you know, chicken that happens, in the locker room. But that happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. It, it, and normally it's the weigh-in day. Whenever weigh-in day is, that's a day to celebrate because the big hefties, they've been holding out the last couple of days right. so they can make weight you know, and, and not have to pay a fine or anything. So when that gets, when you get off that scale, it's like, let's go. Let, let's do some work now. Let's do some damage. That's on every team. That's on every football team. You know, Some teams... Uh, on Saturdays, their facility might not have breakfast for them. So that's the time the rookies go out. Man, when I was in Pittsburgh, I used to have to go to four different restaurants in the morning before I came to practice on Saturday to get all the food that everybody wanted because some people wanted Chick-fil-A, some people wanted Joe's from the Strip District, some people wanted McDonald's. So I I, I would go to four. And you were the gopher. Yeah. And you know what stunk? It's because I was on the practice squad. I was technically a rookie the next year, too, so I did it for two years. Yeah. Big Ben uh, got it out of me. Sucks to be you. Um, it is it it is interesting though. Guys can now all their meals here, and I don't think people understand. I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that I think will be fun with this podcast as it continues into hopefully at least a fourth episode <laughs> is, and we'll count them all down. We for will. You. I'm counting. I'm definitely counting. Uh, when we get to a hundred, we'll stop. But when when you look at 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 weigh-ins, I don't know if. Uh, an average football fan realizes that you guys do have that every, I don't know what it is, Wednesday, Friday? Yeah, I mean, I think it's changed here. I think here it's Friday. Ours used to be Thursdays when I was here with Mike, and you really liked Thursdays because that was your hardest day of practice. You would get your weigh-in in in the morning. It was your hardest. You'd get a good breakfast. It'd be your hardest day of practice. And then Thursday nights were always the the group dinners, the the O-line dinners, the offense dinners, um, the defense dinners. Everybody would go out to dinner together. And And you didn't have to watch calories. You didn't have to watch calories. Um, You could team bonding, all, all the good stuff that comes with a good meal and a couple of pops so what was what was your weight that you had to hit on weigh-in day well it's not that you have to hit it's that you have to be below actually some of the some of the smaller guys you know some of the d-backs and stuff i've been on some teams where they actually had they actually had a minimum oh like a window that yeah, they had to hit. they had a they had a minimum i never had a minimum i had a maximum and it was 261 and i was never close okay so and then so then it, it, i can remember there'd be years and you'd have to sign off on your weight limit for them to be able to find you so at the beginning of the year they come through with this little sign-up sheet and from my rookie year in Pittsburgh, it was 261. 261. What did you normally play at? 255. Okay. And then I would say about five or six years in, it's probably my third or fourth year here in Green Bay, they came through with the, with the sign-in sheet, and it said 255. <laughs> and I looked at it, I said, are you kidding? What is this? I'm not signing this. Right. And I believe my coach was Jerry Fontenot at the time, who played 16 years in the NFL. He got it. Right. He understood. He's like... Man, I don't know who put that number on there. I said, I've been 261 for six or seven years in a row. We need to keep this at 261. He said, let me see what I can do. He brought down a new sheet. It said 261. I signed it happily. So how important, like, 
I don't think people understand that it really is important, though, that you're at the weight that I want to say best fits you or yeah. is the be- you feel most comfortable at. Like if you, let's say you went off the, and they, you went, you, so let's say you did 263. Listen, let's say I fluctuated. Listen, I fluctuated. My, okay. my weight fluctuated. I could feel it when I played a game closer to 261, when I played it up around 259, 260, I felt that. Really? Yeah. If I played it down around 250, 249, I felt that. Pros and cons of both. Now, let me just finish this. Hey, okay. My yeah. natural body weight was 255 to play at. That's what I felt the best when i was heavier i felt like i could run block i i could sustain a block i could i could give a more devastating blow but i didn't feel like i could run in the open field i felt tired after my routes i just i felt sluggish okay when i lost the weight, i felt great running the routes I, i'm t- 249 I, I couldn't sustain the box against. Six pounds yeah, could make that much of a difference. Yes, it's just it, wow. it's it's weird. We are fine tuned machines, and when you find that 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 perfect spot, that's where you have to play at. So that's funny that you say that as it relates to weight, because it also relates to injury. Because as I mentioned, while he wasn't when he wasn't eating the skittles, we were talking to Devonte at at length about how that toe feels and how this week it feels to the point where it's going to be a game-time decision. And if he doesn't go, he feels really good about the following week, basically. And he can tell how different it is. And I asked him, so, well, how do you know? Like, how do you figure that out? Because do you have to push it just a smidge too far and feel pain? Or how does it work? And he said, I don't want to... <laughs> he literally looked at us and said, I don't, I don't want to hurt you guys' feelings. But he basically said, when you're, a, when you're an upper-class athlete like you guys are, you just know your bodies so much better than any normal person. And he knows he can walk. You know, the first couple weeks he could walk, but if he tried to push off, he knew what it was going to do and what the pain was going to be like. And he says he's, last week he was one million times better. Now he's two million times better. You guys, how important is it? And were there guys that you played with that maybe you could tell didn't really know their bodies as well as they needed yeah, to? Yeah, you, you, you can see that. Depending on the guys who they are. Now, keep this in mind: when you're when you're an NFL player, when you're a professional basketball player, any any guy that plays at the at the highest level, um, no matter how fast they are running or what they are doing, there are. Let's just put it like a car uh, analogy here. Their RPMs are always maxed out. You, okay. you're always going. And there's a ding in the door. When, oh wait, that's the wrong one. When, yeah, when you're when you're competing, you are maxed out. You're giving it everything you have so you have you always have that as your baseline okay you can't go any further than max red line on the rpm scale so you know where that's at you you know that maximum capacity i i think with it for guys like us when we get injured we can't ever you know you're good when you can reach that maxed out spot okay and when you can't reach that maxed out spot you know you're not ready to go yet. That's when you know you're not ready to go. Either it's a comfort thing, either you feel like, man, if I, either you push it to that spot and you feel some pain, or before you get to that maxed out spot, you're like, well, I just know I can't do it. Right. If I do it, I'm going to pop it again. Right. Well, we'll see where Devontae Adams is uh, come Sunday night in Kansas City as the Packers take on the Chiefs. Um, let's talk a little bit about last week first. You and, and your good buddy, the quarterback, who we saw in the locker room before we did this, and I made sure we were recording. He said, oh, that's going to be great. He should listen. He's missing out. That's what I responded to him. What did you think of, uh, speaking of great, the performance he put together? You were down on the sideline for the radio broadcast. Well, I, I just I thought it was perfect, and I thought it was perfect for a couple different reasons. We've seen Aaron Rodgers' uh, mystical kind of play before in the past, and 
and this this was kind of paired up with um kind of an in sync mentality that he was going to work with what the game plan was right. and execute the game plan. I didn't see a whole lot of him going outside of the realm of what the play was built and made right. for. He just executed it to perfection. So the plays there, it's designed for seven. He throws a perfect ball for seven yards. Um, it might take a perfect throw to, to make it work, but he made the perfect throw. If the play's there and and it's designed for five here, he's taken the five. He didn't have to scramble. Now he scrambled a little bit. A couple bit. of extended plays, yes, sure. But not many. Right. A lot of that was him just trusting the game plan and, and the play call and executing them as finely as they could be. That, to me, spoke volumes for where this offense is at right now because I've seen Aaron do magical things on the football field where Fifty percent of it was him ad libbing. He did not need right. to ad lib in this game. He just performed. So, what does that tell you about where his comfort is in the in the uh, scheme? And then, what does it tell you about where maybe that rapport is? Because, as you know, on Packers dot com, you guys had the mic'd up clip of him with. Lafleur and them interacting, and it 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 has gone viral on social yeah. media. Well, so I'll say this: I I've seen him execute game plans similarly for wins, like he did in Dallas. I thought, um, and we we termed it game manager without trying to offend anyone, but we we dubbed it that because it's exactly what that was. He he just took. Uh, he used his tools that were available to him, uh, his backup wide receivers, his running backs, and his tight ends, and, and he made the most of of their talents, and he, and he maximized their abilities in order to win, and it had four rushing touchdowns in it. What was so great about this is he did the exact same thing with the same cast of characters, and he showed it can be done in the air as well. So I really like the fact that it's showing Matt LaFleur's offense is indeed evolving right. and creating opportunities for everybody and you have the perfect maestro i call him now in aaron to be able to just kind of lead the symphony um if he can game plan continually like this and and call the plays in a comfort level like he was against oakland aaron's not going to make mistakes he is going to continue to be uh, a flawless executor like we well, like we saw in this last game and there may be some point in time where a defense game plans a little bit better, and it's tough times. And right. that, that might be the time where we see Aaron ad lib a little bit and get out. And that's that's why he's such a special talent. But man, if if they can game plan and play, call plays where they are both in sync and and in tune with one another, this offense could be scary. How remarkable is it that the offense was as good as it was, and Devontae Adams still isn't playing? Like I. I I, I'm I'm leery of of saying things that you know they don't miss him or whatever because they do, but for them to have that kind of performance without him, it's one thing to have Aaron Jones run wild in Dallas and have the receivers only catch four balls, mm -hmm. but all those receivers contributed in some way and some in significant ways. Well, it was great. I mean, if you really break it down, Aaron diagnosed a zero blitz late in the game, 
I mean, this 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 is late in the game. He threw a five yard pass to MVS because he knew the safety's playing eight. He's trying to disguise the coverage. The safety's playing off. Aaron throws a five yard pass to him. The safety's dead. He didn't recover in time, right. and now MVS has the speed to take it to the house. Um, you saw early in the game, Danny Vitale wide open on a play action pass that looked like a run. His man completely bit on the play. Danny was wide open. You saw Jimmy Graham wide open running across the middle early in the game. You saw Jake Kumaro getting hit in a, in, it's called a, a hole shot in cover two, perfectly thrown on the line. Matt LaFleur is finding ways to get these guys open. And, the challenge is when you don't have a bunch of Devontae Adams, how do you create for them if they can't create for themselves? And he has found ways to use these guys' sets of skills and play calling to create advantages for them and, and situations where they are open. So uh, for the uninitiated, uh, a hole shot would be literally finding a hole in the cover it's, it's two the whole, defense. It's the hole right behind the corner where he thinks he slowed up the receiver enough that the safety can recover, but before the safety gets there. Yeah, and and that turns into a 37-yard touchdown. Huge play before halftime. They get the ball back. I wanted to ask you, because Tausch and I argue about this, and you, you filled in for him a couple weeks ago, but we haven't seen you since. Where, I know you're bummed about that. Uh, no, I'm not. I, <laughs> you bring donuts, which is great. Um, but there was the, the there was the key moment in this game before we look forward to Kansas City on Sunday night. Derek Carr fumbling at the pylon. Yeah, don't even tell me you're going to want to change that rule. That rule's been so in you're the with Tausch on that. That rule's been in the NFL forever. And, and you think we, it's the right rule? Yeah, because you know what? If you're dumb enough to stick the ball out and lose it like that right at the inch line. You should, I mean, he should have, they benched him later in the game, more so because they didn't want him to get hurt, yeah, and it was over. If I was the coach, that's careless football. That is careless football. And he did it once before, like two years ago. He he didn't even really get hit. He didn't even really get hit. That's careless football. Now, you saw Jay Kumaro make a play at the pylon, but he did it with two hands, and he secured it through the fall. I mean, to me, now, that rule's got to stay. And these guys need to be co- – that's coaching. You need to be coached up better. Right. In in Green Bay, if you ever did – if you ever reached across the pylon with one hand on the ball, you're getting you're getting reprimanded severely. Really? Um, it, that's interesting that you say that, though, because Jake Kumaro did – I've seen Aaron Rodgers go for the – in the NFC Championship game where he's trying to get the corner uh, in Chicago. In Chicago, yeah. And it's the picture that's on the cover of Sports mm-hmm. Illustrated. He's got both hands on the ball. You're right. Now, if you risk it for the biscuit, like we say in the in the business, if you risk it for the biscuit, you better get it because if you don't get it, you're sitting on pine. That really is though uh, a vital turn of events in that game. Like I, I think the Packers still win the game, but you look at it, the Raiders are going to go up seventeen fourteen. Instead, they lose that. The Packers go down, get the Kumaro touchdown. Opening kickoff of the second up. half. The old double up. The double up, up. The old, yeah. And the big double up, too. Both touchdowns. Neither. Sometimes you get the double up, it's just a 10-point. But 14 right. points on the double up, that's a backbreaker. Yeah. Before the offense touches the ball again, the Packers scored 14 points before the Raiders touched the ball again. That is what great teams do. They they punish a team severely for making a mistake right. the way the Oakland Raiders did. I mean, we... We tried to pick apart this team for a few weeks now. Well, the run defense, and uh, there's guys getting open, and there's this and there's that. But you, you got to commend them, too. And you sure. got to commend them when they do the little things. And, and that's a little thing, the double up, but that's a backbreaker. 
that that in a sense put a pretty nice bow on that game before it was halfway through the third right, quarter. Right, and that's something that you guys, because I remember back in the day when the quarterback did a radio show with us, you know, and he would sing "Double Up." I mean, that was something that you guys, when you were really rolling, like 10 and 11, you did it all the time. We deferred every game because we wanted the chance to have an extra possession because we felt if we had an extra possession, that's seven more points on the board. Right. Um, so let's look ahead now to Kansas City. You said we're nitpicking on things, and and that's you know from my perspective, I try. That's to, what you do. Well, You're try, a nit, you are a nitpicker. I, sure, absolutely. Um, but I also, you know, my approach is there's some positive things, and then you have to at least mention some of the negatives. I would say that if you're, and I asked Matt Lafleur this earlier in the week, if you're the Chiefs coming in, you're looking at the film of the Raiders game, and you're saying. We're going to get the ball to Travis Kelsey as much as we can sure. because they had a tough time with all of Oakland's tight ends. Is that something in your experience when, whether it was something with you guys on offense or your defensive teammates, can you get something fixed in a week that is such a glaring issue? Well, we saw that with the run defense early on. Uh, they, they struggled for a few games, and then they came on strong there with, with Dallas and Detroit. Uh, it's tough. It is tough to to completely fix that problem. Now, I, I will say this: I talked to a few Raiders coaches before the game, and they are in love with Darren Waller. I mean, the, the guy has he's good. He has more than double the catches of anybody else on the team. And I talked to three offensive coaches there, and they said the reason they extended him is because they feel he is the best tight end in the National Football League. And he didn't do anything in that game to make me think otherwise. Right? He's fast. He's got an incredible catch radius at six six, and he blocks his. T- off so you can literally line him up at any spot and you don't know if they're running at him running away from him or throwing to him in, right. in the in the play and that creates a huge problem for the defense they have no keys it's a it's a real struggle with a guy like that Travis Kelsey is is pretty darn good at all those things as well right. so I think that's going to be that that's going to present some problems now Darnell Savage is coming back this week and but let's let's also uh, where we're throwing shade let's also give a little credit you know that hustle play by Will Redmond when Terrific. Waller was down. Huge. Yeah, that that set up the fumble. Right. So you know you can you can make bad things better by by a little bit of hustle and, and right. they did that. I mean, the Jair defense, Alexander had a play like that against Detroit too, right? That yep. ended up and they ended up selling for a, a field yeah, goal, yeah, breaking up a pass. Right. So it, we've seen a lot of that with this defense. This. We're going to play for 60 minutes. It doesn't matter uh, if it's the last second of this play or if it doesn't matter if, if a guy has this beat, we're going to finish. And, you know, that mentality is contagious, and it just more things go your way when you finish it out, when you just finish it out. And that's what the defense is doing. They're, they are letting up some big plays. They have struggled against the run at times. They've struggled in, in coverage a few times with some big plays. But they finish it out. They finish right. the plays. They finish the game. And because of that, you know, they're finding themselves on the better side of the turnover battle, the better side of the situation battle. They're they're half decent in third down. They're really good in the red zone right now, at least the last few games they have been. So, right. I mean, they're they're setting some trends right now that, that looks pretty good as a defense. So if you were, because you had to have done this with Mike, because Mike McCarthy was very matchup-based in his coaching mentality in terms of an offense. So if you're, if, if you were in that situation, say you're, you know, pick a team, whoever, the Bears, 
Uh, and the Bears had the kind of performance against the tight ends that the Packers had against the tight ends from Oakland. Would then you guys be saying, all right, we're going to get J. Mike or Richard Rodgers or whoever it was at the time more involved? Like, Does that yeah. influence the next week's game yes, plan? Yes, what, and, and what actually makes this scary with Kansas City is they do have a tight end who looks like he could be interchangeable right. with this other tight end, and they have other extremely dangerous weapons. Oakland... Other than the running back, Packers weren't afraid of anybody else they were throwing out right. there. That running back something special, too, Jacobs. He's he's going to be the real deal for a while. So other than those two guys, they didn't really have to worry in coverage. That's why, you know, what discouraged me about Oakland is at some point in time, I would have just said, all right, Kevin, go, Kevin King, go go man up on him. You're our tallest. You're one of our lockdowns. Right. Go, you, who cares? We're putting a cornerback on a tight end. You're going to play him. And, and, you know, to some extent they did that late in the game, and that's why he finished with an interception. But that's what was discouraging about that was he was their one and really only, you know, scary target on their offense from the pass game standpoint. The Chiefs have a lot more. When you talk about Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, right. Cole Holdman, I mean, they are dangerous. Look, Sean McCoy in the pass game, Damian Williams in right. the pass game. Right. I mean, they have dangerous, dangerous weapons, even if Matt LaFleur is the one distributing. Well, what happens if... It's Pat Mahomes versus if it's Matt Moore. What are the? Uh, you... I mean, as a fan and as an analyst now, that's what I want to see, right. and I want. But as to a see... player, you would have taken him taking the week off. As, as a Packer employee, I mean, I, I I I want him, you know, to get healthy and take his time doing it. <laughs> see him at the Super Bowl. Is that is that player's mentality though? Because I know that that is a question that some of the current players have been asked this week. I know Tremont Williams said, "Look, I want to go against the best of the best," and Tao. To his credit, he's usually, you know, he can be a, a challenge at times, but he's usually a pretty honest guy. He said, no, 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 I don't want to play your best. No, no, if no, you guys listen, have guys that aren't as I, good, I want to play them. Listen, we're not playing anymore, so we can be dead honest, okay? Right now, if he's, we want him to get healthy, and we want him to get we healthy wish him the best. while we are playing against his backup. Right. Mm -hmm. um, from a purely, you know, you've watched a lot of football. You've played with great quarterbacks, not just one, uh, multiple um, ben Roethlisberger, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Flynn. Um, Drew Brees. Yeah, Drew Brees, right. <laughs> I wanted to get Matt Flynn in there because I know he's a, big, he's a big listener to the podcast. Um, when when you look at Patrick Mahomes, and yes, you can wish for him to get healthy yeah. and not play, but well, what do you see when you watch well, the, him play? The reason I want to see is because there's a lot of guys that you see stuff on TV and you're like, wow, that guy's super special, or wow, that guy's just... And then you see him in person, and your whole mindset about them might be different. When I watch Patrick Mahomes, some of the things I see almost... Um, almost defy logic, almost defy um, reality. So I want to see if I'm on the field, does it look the same way? Right. More impressive, less impressive? Is it camera angles, or is it because this guy is a wizard similar to what Aaron is and, and what Aaron can do? There's something about being at Packers practice and seeing Aaron every single day. You go and you watch some other quarterbacks from other teams, and you're just like, huh, well, meh. Right, but I want to see if Patrick Mahomes is one of those guys where I'm like, oh boy, yeah, there's another one, and and you can see the difference very cl very clearly. So I I asked Matt Lafleur if because you know he's been coaching in the league a long time, he's watched a lot of quarterbacks, you know whether it's as a fan or as an opponent or as a coach, if Mahomes reminded him of anybody, 
And he said Rodgers. Like, I didn't ask him, I didn't say, does he remind you of Aaron? I said, does he remind you of anybody? Do you see those similarities yourself? Yes, and it's it's two things. I mean, they don't look all that much similar, but there's two things that are very similar that I see. It's one, One's called the flick, where it's an effortless bullet right on the money, you know, squeeze it through a keyhole. He's able to do that with just... He can be in a position that's so unsound for a quarterback to be in, right. and he can flick the ball with a perfect spiral into a spot. That's like the one he made in the game on Sunday, where his body, like his body, is turned one way, his legs are facing another way, and he flicks it kind yeah. of across his body. I think to Aaron Jones on like a dump yes. off across yes. the middle. Yeah, it's 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 plays like that that remind me uh, of the two of them. That's a, that's a skill that okay. probably. That probably they're the only two in the league that have that that little flick off of terrible form, and I right. would say that at times they have terrible form, but it does not affect their throwing at all. Uh, and then the second is they can run, they're elusive, but they don't look to run. They just use that to extend plays, right. to pass down the field. And then at times, and only it seems at really big moments of the game, do they take that opportunity and actually run for the big first down. When they don't have any other throwing options, option, really. Yeah. Um, so if that matchup doesn't come to fruition and it's Matt Moore playing, that obviously changes the dynamic. Um, you were on the team in 2011 when you guys played there, and you were on the team in 2007 when you guys went to Arrowhead and played there. Um, how does it compare noise-wise because I think there's a lot of people that feel like it's even louder than when Lambo was on its game in terms of noise factor. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely one of the loudest. It's but it's between them and Seattle for the loudest outdoor stadium for okay. sure. That that's that's for certain. I'm not sure which one's louder. Uh, we played them in in a couple of regular season games that were. I mean. We were undefeated, so they yeah, were. Yeah, it was kind of a big deal. Yeah, it, it was a big deal, but it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't like playing in Seattle in the NFC Championship right. game like we did. So that's why it's it's hard to compare. And we also played in Seattle in the kickoff game for a regular season game. That's about as big as it gets. So right. Seattle had had those two things going for them. But I, Kansas City's loud. I played in there. I also played in there half a dozen preseason games. Right. And I always thought I was always impressed with how loud it was for the preseason games. It's a it's a raucous atmosphere. It's tough on the opposing offenses and I actually believe it's tough on opposing defenses because it gets it gets to the point where if they start getting some momentum on offense, it just feels like a wave, right? A wave of emotion, a wave of volume, and it just matriculates itself and works its way down the field and clumps when it starts happening. So you made the uh, caveat though of outdoor stadium. Does that mean like the Metrodome? It's just because it's indoors. It's just or or the well, they Superdome. They don't have a Metrodome anymore. I know, but you played most of yeah. your Vikings games in there. Yeah, and I'm convinced they that was fake noise. I mean, that thing just went nonstop forever. Even when they were on offense, I just think they had the speakers tuned up and they were just letting loose. And they, <laughs> I, I'm I'm convinced it, it just made. But no, that was even louder than those two outdoor stadiums. I would say because yeah, they had Monday, nowhere to go. The Monday night football game against Brett Favre in Minnesota oh, is still probably the loudest game I I, I ever played in volume wise. And then New Orleans, New Orleans gets loud. I mean, now you got to be on loud. the you got to be on the home side of that. Yeah, what's 
contrast that with the because you guys. I remember one game you went down there and you guys got your ta- Drew kicked your tails. Uh, it, more than one. Right. Every time we went down there as a Packer, we got whopped. Yeah. <laughs> we just got Did not go well. Whopped. So so that those would be the two indoors then. Yeah. And it's is it a lot different when you're on the team? I mean, there's not many guys that we know. Yeah, I don't think U.S. That. Bank Stadium is as loud. I really don't. Okay. You know, Dallas, no, nah, I don't think it's as loud. And Atlanta, I don't think it's as loud. I mean, Ford Field has never been loud. Right. <laughs> so, Did Drew have to quiet the crowd in New Orleans the way Aaron sometimes has had to at Lambeau? No. And, and that's the, So the funny thing is, I always thought the Superdome was so darn loud when I was a Packer and I would go there to play. And then when I played there as a, as a, as a home player, right. I, I was always, man, is it as loud? But you... They're loud when you want them to be, so you don't really notice the noise right. all that much then. But then, you know, my wife would be in the stands, and I'm like, well, how's, how's the noise to you? She's like, John, this, it's unbelievable. My wife and my daughters are wearing headphones in the right. stands because it's so loud. But it it is a crazy place. That If we're going to start talking about uh, home field advantage, we, we need to start talking about if this Packer team can string a couple more wins together. The big thing now is... Don't just win a division. If it don't just win a division, you don't want to travel to Seattle. Although I think we can win in Seattle, you definitely don't want to travel to New Orleans. No, you don't. You definitely don't want to travel to New Orleans in the playoffs. So you have to find a way. You're not just playing against Minnesota anymore. Okay, this season's midway through. Now you got to start setting some goals where you can set yourself up for for real big things in the playoffs. You know, I think if we'd all said we're going to go back to the playoffs at the beginning of the season, we all would have said, "Yeah, that's great, we'll take it." But right now, at six and one, let's reevaluate. Right. Hey, this is this is going back to the bargaining table. We're going to redo this contract. So one other thing about New Orleans. Not this is not a New Orleans focused podcast. It can be at times. There's nothing wrong um, with that. People love people. Listen, Brett grew up down there, just outside of New Orleans. People. Love that Super Bowl that we won down there. It, it, there's nothing wrong with you know giving a little love to New Orleans. So you played for Sean Payton mm-hmm. down there, and they went and beat the Bears handily again without Drew Brees. Now it looks like Drew Brees is trying to be back for this week's game for them, but and they did it without Alvin Kamara. They did it without Jared Cook. I mean, they he put together a game plan that won a game with most of his, his starting quarterback. And how much do you think coaching? truly matters in an NFL team's success. Well, coaching is humongous because the the coaching is where you it's it's still a player's game. It's still a player's game. Your players play the game, your players win or your players lose. But the coach sets the bar. Okay. Wherever that coach set the the coach sets the bar for what those players are capable of and he can set it to a really high ceiling or he can hold them back and set it to a really low ceiling. When I look right now, and I'm really excited about what Matt LaFour has done here in his first year. There's only two coaches around the league right now that I think have done a better job if we're voting for Coach of the Year, one of which is Frank Reich in Indianapolis, the way he had to deal with the retirement I'm of so his starting QB, having to deal with that right before the start of the season and, and the progress that they have made and their ability to stay uh, not just relevant, but but very, very competitive in the AFC. And then Sean, with the way he's had to battle and rally with Teddy, and uh, and just that team has not missed a drumbeat. Does that surprise you? No, it like doesn't. Like you know him, you've it played doesn't. for him. It doesn't. It doesn't surprise me with Sean. It doesn't surprise me with Frank Reich, with what we've seen out of him in the last several years. I think those guys are both, um, they're very, very high-level 
game planners and and preparers when it comes to getting their teams ready to play football games. I think they set the benchmark for their team very high, so their teams who are very talented can reach a higher ceiling. And and Matt LaFleur is certainly trending in that direction. He's got a long way to go. But speaking of Matt LaFleur, when we weren't talking about Star Wars, I did ask you about that clip of them on the sideline of Rodgers and LaFleur. Were you ever mic'd up for a game? No, and thank goodness. Like, are you? Wh- there were where do times, you stand on that? There were times when some of my teammates, and and I know you're bringing this up because the whole seeing ghosts comment, right? Well, I was I was going to say because there have been there's that because I don't think people understood what Sam Darnold was saying there. They Poor thought he was Sam. scared, yeah, which is not what's explained to people what seeing ghosts. Well, no, he's just he's he thinks he's seeing things out there that aren't there that aren't there. And and he's misreading and he's miscalculating, and that Patriots defense can actually get a lot of people to do that. You know, you, you think a blitz is coming from one side, you make a check, and here they drop out and you throw an interception right to a defensive end or somebody else. I mean, right. it, the mic'd up situation is tough because you want that access. It makes for great content, great television. It makes the fan feel like they're right there on the sideline right. with you. I love it you too. Know, just thank goodness the fans weren't with me every step of the way because there are some dirty things that could said down there. I, I have there were times I would walk up to Chad Clifton. There's times I'd walk up to Ryan Grant. Even times I'd walk up to Aaron and I'd start talking. And right as I got close enough to where the mic could probably hear me, they'd give me a little wink and they just tap their chest. Right there, and I knew exactly <laughs> what they were getting at. So, uh, what was it? The 15 playoff game in Arizona where um, Randall Cobb goes up to catch the pass, lands on the microphone pack, and punctures his lung. Yeah. Um, you mean to tell me? I mean, that's just, that is just unbelievable that you say that. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a travesty. Right. Um, I guess Corey Lindsley wears one every week in some capacity because yeah. they you can every hear center, the snap count well, every center every center's mic'd up but i think their packs might be located a little bit differently okay you know the but pro- aaron hates that too because he feels like then people are watching the 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 tv copy and getting a feel for his cadence and whatever else so what do you want me to say that i don't like it uh no i want you to, you you this is your podcast yeah i, I actually i, I, I enjoy it i, I do i think it's great content i i mean plus i mean you, you watch a you watch a football game, and and you start understanding. Hey, you know some of these some of these things they're saying they're checks, they're keys, and so then you got a whole different dynamic. Now you got to create dummy audibles and dummy keys. So right. it's a chess game. It is, and and I just think that, you know, one of the challenges, and and you experienced this. You did a good job of allowing people to get to know you during, uh, you know, especially during the second half of your career. I would say, but it's a it's a game where. Look, the truth is you guys have the helmets and the masks on all the time, and it's not the same as other games. You don't feel yeah. as accessible. So I work you know, with the Packers every single day, and, and I see them every single day. And I have friends that are devout Packer lovers, mm-hmm. and my family watches every game from the Packers, and they, you know, they root for the Packers. And we go out to dinner last night, and Kevin King comes walking in. Kevin King, okay, possibly one of the two or three stars on the defense so far right. this year because of his fourth quarter interceptions. Yeah, he sits down right beside us, daps me up before he sits down, introduces me to his parents. I said hi, you know, congratulations, your son's playing terrific this year. You should be very proud. And I sit down, and my wife and my buddy who's eating dinner with us and his wife and his kids, they're all like, 
who's that? <laughs> and I'm like, it's Kevin it's King. True, it's true, It's Kevin King. But they don't know because it's, you know, it's a number. When I say Kevin King, everybody thinks 20. They might think long hair, you know, and they think right. and they think tall corner. And that's about all you see. But they wouldn't recognize no. him if he walked mm. into a restaurant. Well, maybe they would recognize Danny Vitale. And Aaron Rodgers, and we'll end on this because... I think we should have him on because he's not the new coon by any means, but wow. he he had some he had the terrific catch. He had two catches down the field. Uh, Aaron, when he was talking at his locker, did draw some comparisons to you two. I know we've talked about him before in the various different situations you and I have done radio or podcast together. But do you see some of you in him? And do you think that improves or decreases our chances of having him on the Coon podcast? Well, I'll definitely throw Danny on the on the podcast because I just I I love him as a person. His mindset is terrific, and uh, and I would be reluctant to say he reminds me a lot of me because I think that would be doing him a disservice. I, I really do. I think the guy is a terrific football player, and I think he has some skills. I mean, he in the passing game is is much more evolved than where I was and I considered myself a good yeah. receiver as a fullback but he's faster uh, he's quicker in and out of his moves and and he's got great hands I, I mean I, I really do think Danny uh, probably just sets of skills is uh, is better suited than, than what I ever was and I'm really anxious to see how they let him evolve as a player yeah. because um, if they can really get a fine um, balance between run blocking, actually getting him the ball in space like we've seen, that's been great so far, and maybe a few touches in the backfield, a couple fullback carries, things to that nature. He could be a vital guy on third down and one. Right. That's one spot we have struggled in this year. So You were great at it. I would, uh, I would love to see him continue to evolve and uh, I think with more opportunities, he could be even even more of a player and a contributor for this team. And I'll have Danny on any time because he's, you know, he's a fullback, he's a bro, and uh, he's a meathead just like myself. <laughs> well, as he evolves, hopefully this podcast evolves as well. You feel good? Do you feel like we've gotten better each week? You're either in in the NFL and in podcast, you're either getting better or you're getting, you're getting worse. Getting worse. I, we, felt, we said that between <laughs> podcast one and two. We're on three now. I think we're trending in the right direction. Well, we hope you'll come back for podcast number four next week. This has been the John Kuhn Podcast.